Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. Well, we're starting a new series this morning we're calling Children's Bread. I'm excited about that. We're going to be talking about healing for these next several weeks. And some of you know that I wrote a book it's on healing called The Children's Bread. We're not doing this series because of the book. We're doing this series for the same reason that I wrote the book in the first place is because healing is important. Healing matters. It matters to people and it matters to God. And so that's why we're taking time to discuss it and to find out what God's word has to say about who is it for? When is it for? How do we, how do we lay hold of it? All those kinds of things. It's important. Healing is important. And so we're going to take a few minutes to look at God's word and then we're going to invite people to be prayed for and people are going to be healed. God is faithful. People are, are going to receive a touch in their body body today, and people are going to be healed here in just a few minutes. So you can go ahead and set your faith. If that's you, just begin to anticipate, man, I'm leaving here healthy. Whatever area needs touch, I'm going to receive that touch before this service comes comes to a conclusion. Amen? So again, number one, healing is important to people. It's important to people. It, It matters. And one of the ways you can see how important healing is to people is you can, you can think about how important money is to people because you know that money is important to people. Amen? You know that they, they work hard for it. They strive. They scheme. People steal money. People hoard money. People dream about money. People, people have a strong desire when it comes to money. But as much as people love money, as important as money is, it doesn't compare to how important health is. Because if you're able to acquire a lot of money, let's say you you have a billion dollars, but then you also contract some kind of disease that robs you of your health, and now you're on your deathbed, and you find out that someone has a cure for whatever it is you're you're suffering, and it turns out it's gonna cost you everything. It'll cost you a billion dollars or however much you've acquired. You wouldn't think twice. You would gladly give that billion dollars to get your health back. Because as much as people love money, they love health. Health is even more important. In Mark chapter 5, Jesus tells the story of the woman. He doesn't tell the story. The story is told to us of Jesus interacting with the woman with the issue of of blood. And it says that she she suffered 12 years, constant bleeding. She's she's hemorrhaging. And it says that she spent all that she had on doctors. You, You familiar with this story? She gave everything that she had, but she didn't get better. She actually got worse. So 12 years of getting poorer and poorer and less healthy and less healthy till we we meet her in Mark chapter five. And it says she she's now completely out of money and completely out of health. Now in that condition, I've got no health and no money. What was it that she desired most of all? Because she's a woman that had strong faith. She's a woman that had uh, faith to produce miracles, to completely change her situation. So when it tells the story, what was it that she was saying in her heart? I know if I can just touch the edge of his garment, what was going to happen? What was it in her heart? Man, my situation needs to change. She didn't, she didn't say, if I could just touch the edge of his garment, I know, I know I'll get all that money back that I gave to those doctors. That's not what she was after. I know if I can just touch the edge of his garment, I'll be, I'll be a wealthy woman again. For, forget that. As important as money can be, what she desired, when she's out of both of them, what she really desired in her heart was health. Help, people cherish their health. Your health is important. Amen? It's important that you can, you can do the things that you want to do. Play with your kids. Play with your grandkids. Travel. Do whatever it is that you enjoy. Your health is important. And even though people will squander and make this bad decisions and, and sometimes lose their health, once they've lost it, they realize how important it really is. So number one, your health is important to you. It's important that you're healthy. Important you're able to you know, not be tied down with doctor's appointments and tests and limited in what you can do because you have, you know, dialysis every other day and you're, you know, always just having to move money around to cover your prescription costs and all those kinds of things. It's important that you're healthy and strong. If you had the choice between being healthy and strong and sick and weak, the, the choice is pretty clear. So health, your health matters to you, but more importantly, it's important to God that you're healthy and strong. It matters to God. Your health matters to God. He's aware of the status of your health. It matters to him. Look at the ministry of Jesus. There's lots of ways you could demonstrate this. Just look at the the ministry of Jesus. 
that what we have in the gospel accounts is just a small portion of Jesus' life. At the end of the gospel of John, it says if, I were, if, if they were to write everything that Jesus did, the world couldn't contain all of the books because Jesus did so many things. So what we have in the gospels is a, a select sampling of Jesus' life and ministry. So you have to assume that the Holy Spirit is selecting certain portions of his life. He's not just selecting random things. One day Jesus was on a tire swing. Now he's selecting important stuff, right? It, it's, telling, it's telling us stuff, stuff that, that matters and a bulk of what you read as you read through the gospels has to do with Jesus changing people from unhealthy to healthy. He used a lot of his time, a lot of the, the content of the gospels is about Jesus fixing someone who couldn't hear, now they could hear. They couldn't see, now they could see. They couldn't walk, now they could walk. Their hand was withered up, now it's not withered up. Their back was bent over in pain, now they're able to stand up strong. They used to be dead, now they're alive. That was a bulk of Jesus' ministry. And people will, will interpret that and dismiss healing and say, well, that was just something God was doing then because the Messiah had arrived and he really needed to make a splash. And so it was a way just to kind of let people know he, he's the real deal, he's not messing around. And it was just kind of let people know uh, the Messiah has come and it was like a temporary thing that God was doing. But that, that's not how Jesus explained it. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus was a revelation of the heart of the Father, amen? He was revealing what God is really like. So if he came and spent a bulk of his ministry healing people's bodies to reveal the heart of the Father, then it wouldn't be fair for that to not really be what God is like. That instead of it being a revelation of here's what the Father is like, really it would be more of a deception because you showed us one thing and then you left and you, you, you changed things around. No, that was just while I was there. He doesn't do that anymore. Then you didn't really reveal anything. All you brought was confusion. Amen? So if, if Jesus came and spent time healing and said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, then we know it matters to the Father. Your health matters to the Father. God wants you healthy and strong. It matters to him that you, you're diabetic. It matters to him that your, your knees hurt, that your back hurts. It matters to him that you can't hear as well as you'd like to be. Whatever it is, it matters to him. Your healing is important to God. In fact, the Bible says that your body's not your own. It's been bought at a price. So even if your healing doesn't matter to you, Jesus has paid that you'd be, you'd be healthy and strong. So even if it isn't important to you, it's important to him. You're, you belong to him and he wants you. He wants you healthy and strong. Go ahead and turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 15. This passage, passage of scripture is so, so rich with things pertaining to our healing. We'll just take time to draw a few of them out this morning. Starting in verse 21, it says, Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very, that very hour. So this woman comes to Jesus. She's not, she's not Jewish. She's a Gentile woman, a woman from Canaan. Her daughter is at home and it needs a touch. And it starts off saying that my, my daughter is demon-possessed. It's a demonic spiritual thing. And then that last verse we read, it says that she was healed she received a healing at that very hour. So it seems to contradict, which is it? Is this a demonic spiritual problem that we're dealing with? Or is this somebody in need of a physical touch? It says one and then it says the other. 
Well, one thing we can learn from that is that the two are, are closely related, that there is overlap between what happens spiritually and what happens physically. And I don't want to take too much time on this specific topic, but one thing is, is important is to understand that sickness is, the, the roots of sickness are spiritual in nature. And the cure, the solution to sickness is also spiritual in nature. And people can go off the, the, either side of the road or make mistakes on either end of the spectrum. And they can get over-spiritual and everything is demonic and you need basically an exorcism because, you know, you, you, have, you have allergies or, or something. But the other end of the spectrum is to completely dismiss any spiritual component to what's going on. That all we think of when it comes to needing a healing is a doctor, a medication, a procedure, a surgery, that those are the only possible, the only possible solutions. And I'm not anti those kinds of, of things, but we've got to understand that sickness and disease ultimately, ultimately is spiritual in its source, in its root. In the Garden of Eden, there was no, there was no sickness and disease. When God created the world, there was no sickness. There was no tuberculosis. There, were, there weren't people coming down with the flu. How did sickness and disease enter? It didn't come in on some diseased man that was contaminating everything, sneezing and coughing and getting his germs everywhere. That's not the way that sickness entered. The way that sickness entered the world was because of sin. When sin entered, it opened up the way for sickness and disease to come. It was spiritual in nature. And what Jesus did, Jesus didn't come and write us a prescription. Jesus came and brought a spiritual solution because he was dealing not with just the symptoms, he was dealing with the root. And when you deal with the root, the entire thing has been dealt with. And so this woman is inter interacting with Jesus and Jesus puts her off a couple of times and she keeps pressing. Her, her, her faith is great. She knows what she's after and she knows that Jesus is able to provide it. Verse 26, Jesus introduces an analogy and says to this woman, it's not right or it's not good to take the children's bread and to give it or to throw it to the little dogs. Now, when Jesus starts talking about bread, my daughter needs you, Lord, please help me. My daughter needs a touch. You know, it's not good for dads to give bread to the dogs instead of the kids. Like, what are you talking about? That has nothing to do with what we're, what we're saying. Jesus isn't confused. He's not distracted. He's just not off on some tangent trying to change the subject. He's introducing an analogy, and the woman understands the analogy. So she's after something. What's she after? She's after the power of God touching her family. She's after healing for her daughter. And so Jesus, when he mentions bread, bread is, is symbolic of healing. So that's the analogy that he's introducing. And Jesus' use of analogy is very, very important. He's saying this for a reason. There's things for us to learn. Because one of the things that he's revealing in the use of this analogy is that healing is not some crazy pinnacle that a few people are able to reach and it's not for everyone else. The way that he's using this analogy helps us to know that healing, healing isn't just something that just, oh, you got a lucky roll of the dice. It's like hitting the lottery. It's like finding a four-leaf clover, seeing a shooting star or something. That's not, that's not the way that healing is supposed to operate. Even though that's the way it seems like healing operates, Jesus is trying to bring correction to that. That's not the way that healing operates. And so he introduced uses this analogy, and it's also important for us to understand Jesus is an expert at analogies. Jesus knows how to use a metaphor. He did a lot of it. A couple of chapters earlier in Matthew chapter 13, it says that Jesus never spoke to the people apart from using parables, which are basically metaphors or, or analogies. He was constantly using analogies. That's the way that he communicated. He was delivering truth, always making these connections, and these, these metaphors that the Bible calls parables. So there's the parable of the, the sower. Faith is like a mustard seed. Don't cast your pearls before swine. There's the, the pearl of great price. A treasure, the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field. When someone hears the word of God and actually does what it says, it's like a, a man who builds his house and instead of building it on sand, instead he builds it down on the road. I mean, analogy after analogy after, after analogy. And so when Jesus uses bread here, it's not just some random choice of item. 
He understands the way that analogies work, that there's, there's meaning behind it. And just like you can take another one of his analogies and you can break it down, you can think about it, you can meditate on it, and it just, Jesus' metaphors are rich with meaning. You start thinking about the parable of the sower and all that was communicated in that. You start thinking about the way that a seed works. Jesus said the seed is the word of God. And all those different soils, it's like people's hearts. How does a seed work? Okay, that's the way that God's word works. In, right, the revelation just continues to unfold as you meditate on it. Oh, uh, the cares of this life are kind of like weeds that as I'm growing in the things of God, they have the ability to, 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 choke, to choke out what God wants to do in me and through me. You can, you can meditate on these parables, right? Uh, someone who applies the word of God, it's like building a house with a sure foundation instead of being on sand where it, you start to think about when you build a home or build a building, the importance of the foundation. Yeah. Well, that foundation, it, it affects everything else in the home. Right. It, it affects everything. You start to think about that. How, okay, if I apply the word of God, man, it's going to affect, it sets my life up solid. It's going to affect every, right? So, so all these analogies he's using, they're rich with meaning. And the same thing is true as he introduces healing and compares it with bread, that when a father gives his children bread, how is that? What's, what's the scenario? What's that like? It's not some rare special treat. It's not something that he saves for just his, his favorite child and nobody else. A, a decent father, that is, right? It's not some rare thing that you've got to try to earn, jump through the right hoops. Maybe one of these days, my father, if I'm a really good boy, I can someday acquire a piece of bread. That, that's not the way bread works when a father is providing his children with, with, with food. It's not like a family heirloom that I hope I'm the one that father chooses to pass down to me like some special thing. When he writes his will, I hope I'm the one that gets the piece of bread. That's not the way that bread works, right? So when Jesus is communicating, healing and comparing it to children's bread, he's letting us know that in the eyes of the father, healing is base level provision for the, for the, for the children of God. That if you are a child of God, healing is base level provision. So why doesn't it function like that? How come is it does seem like the, the right person at the right time and the right circumstances is getting like getting struck by lightning or something? It's because much, much of the church has believed that way. And according to your faith, be it unto you that if you believe healing is some rare thing that all the stars have to align and God, you have to catch God in the right mood at the right time. If that's the way that you believe it functions and then that's the way it's going to it's going to out play out in your life. And why I'm taking time to try to press in on this, this analogy is because Jesus wanted to communicate in the heart of the father. That's not the way he thinks of healing that maybe if you're really, 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 really good, you've read your Bible every day for the last six years, then maybe you'll qualify. That, that's not the way it works. He, he considers it basic level provision for, for his children. And we've got to understand that. We've got to grasp how, how God sees healing so that we can enjoy it the way that he wants us to enjoy. It's important to you, but it's important to him that his children are healthy and strong and he's made provision. So we've got to understand what's been provided for us. You know, in James chapter one, it says that uh, Someone unstable, someone, a double-minded man is unstable in his ways, and that person shouldn't expect to receive anything from the Lord. That as much as the Bible talks about blessing and faith and how God wants, wants to, to bless you and you can receive, there is a category of people that say that you don't even expect. Don't expect to receive anything. And it's the person that's back and forth. They're double-minded. I think God wants me healthy, but I'm not sure if he wants me healthy. I, I think he, yeah, I know that there's healing. If I could just strive and strain and get there and jump through the right hoops and have the right person pray with me uh, with the right kind of oil on their hand and the, the right music's playing, that, that's a double-minded person. Either he's provided it and you could have it or, or he hasn't. Some people say, well, you know, bread at that time and that culture actually was like a rare commodity. It was really special. And so, so it, it was something like a, a rare treat. That, that's not true. When you read through the Bible, pay attention to where there's bread. Even when there's nothing else, they still have bread available. When Jesus was teaching, there's thousands of people and nobody has brought anything. All these thousands of people and there's no food. He says, you guys feed them. He says, oh, we don't have anything. All we've got is a couple of loaves of bread. What, but what is that? They didn't say, oh, we have the precious loaves of bread. They, they, they considered it nothing. We don't have anything. When there was nothing else, they still had bread. In 1 Kings 17, when there was a, a famine and there, uh, Elijah was sent to the, to the widow's house to, to be fed. She said, we don't have anything. My son and I, we're, we're about to die. Yeah. 
I'm just about to go inside and bake some bread. Well, hold on, we have nothing, we're gonna die. And then she starts, they, they've, got, they've got bread, they've got enough to make bread. So even when there's nothing else, there, there was bread. And so it, don't dismiss the importance of the analogy Jesus is using here by explaining away, no, well, no, in that time bread actually was a real treat. They had food that was a real treat, some rare kind of thing. You read stories where it's a celebration, something special is going on. Hey, kill the fatted calf, right? They, they had something that fit that description. Like, this is a celebration. We're doing something out of the ordinary here. Let's, let's get that fatted calf in here and let's, let's go ahead and, and prepare that. If Jesus wanted us to understand healing in those terms, he could have very easily said, it's not right to take the fatted calf. You know, it really breaks down the analogy and throw it to the dogs <laughs> under, under the table, which, you know, introduces some other problems. But Jesus could have, could have chosen anything he wanted in this analogy, but instead he chose the children's bread as a picture uh, of, of healing. And God is, a, God is a God who understands how to give good gifts. Amen? Amen? Jesus said, if you fathers being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more so does your father in heaven know how to give good gifts to those, those who ask him? So I don't know any father. I know with my four daughters, if it was Christmas morning and they came out and they're started opening presents, and present after present, what they got was a slice of bread, they, they would not consider me a good gift giver. Right? Even me as an as a earthly father, I know, I know that's not the best gift. That's probably, you know, when you're thinking of gift ideas, have you thought of a piece of bread maybe? I don't know. Some nice pumpernickel? No, that's not a good, it's not a good, it's not a good gift idea, right? So if you fathers, being evil, know how to give good gifts, how much more so? So if this was some rare treat, I'm going to bless you. No, that. He knows how to give good gifts. Even in today's standard, standard, bread, bread is common. After church, if you go out to eat, more than likely, whatever restaurant you go to, as you sit down and you're looking at the menu and you're trying to decide what you're going to pay money for, right? That's why restaurants exist. They, they sell food. But even in a place where the whole point is to charge money for food, they'll bring out a basket of what and put on your table. They're giving bread away, right? That's not something you order that I'll have the breadstick platter. No, they're giving, they're giving you that. Like, hey, you want more breadsticks, more breadsticks? So even, even in a place where they're motivated to sell food, that, that's, it's so common. Restaurants to this day will give it, give it to people. So the... The, the analogy Jesus is using is important for us to get in our hearts through, not through religion's perspective, through God's perspective. Healing, God healing you today, whatever touch you need in your body, it's not some stretch, some difficult thing. I don't know if they qualify. It's like you as a parent. It's like a good father just providing food for their kids. If I did give my kids bread for Christmas, they tear it open, it's a loaf of bread or a slice of bread, they're, they're, why wouldn't they be excited? Dad, this, this is everyday stuff. You always give us bread. We can always have bread. It's always available, right? Yeah. That, that, that's God's perspective. It's always available for you. You can have healing is the children's, is the children's bread. So in that analogy, in verse, verse 26, Jesus says, it's not right to take bread from the children and do what with it? To throw it to the dogs or to give it to the dogs. So in this analogy, bread is healing. Who are these dogs? Who's the dog? This woman specifically, right? In context, he, he's referring to this woman and he calls her a dog. Now, Jesus is our example. Amen. We should follow Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. But this might be one of the rare occasions where you don't want to model Jesus' exact behavior and start just referring to women as dogs. You can try it. So she's a Gentile. And they, they referred to the Gentiles, the Jewish people referred to Gentiles as dogs. And it wasn't meant as a compliment. It was an, it was an insult, just the way that it sounds. Someone doesn't want to be called a dog but he refers to her as, as a dog. Now, if you called a woman a dog now, when we pray here in a couple minutes, if you come up, there's a lady that needs prayer, and we're like, oh, what do you need, you dog? It's probably gonna cause a little bit of a stir, right? People are gonna be upset. People would be offended. If I, called, if I called someone a dog here this morning, more than likely, now some of you are mature enough, you, you just, it wouldn't bother you at all. But more than likely, that person would be hurt, 
They would be offended. They would leave here and probably not come back. They'd probably start posting online about what a terrible church we are with a terrible pastor. He's supposed to be loving and kind. I can't believe that guy referred to me as a dog. What kind of stupid thing is that to say? You know, all kinds of things. There would be, there would be turmoil because of that comment. Now, what would have happened if this woman responded that way? If when Jesus said, it's not right, she, she was following the analogy. She knew what was being, being said. It's not right to take the, the bread from the children, throw it to the dogs. Excuse me? I know you didn't just call me, a, he starts like doing with her head. I know you didn't just call me a, taking her earrings off. Oh, you did not call me a dog. If she would have done that and gotten offended, offended and bent out of shape and said, I, I can't believe, wait until I tell, and like, what, what would have happened? She would have received a blessing that God had for her, right? And so this is a whole other message, but I'll just touch on it really quickly. It's important. When you get offended, same thing holds true for you and me as it does for her. When you, when you allow yourself to become offended, you are shutting a door in some area that God wants to bring you blessing. And that why does the enemy work so hard in the church to get people offended? Most easily offended people on the planet typically are Christians. It shouldn't be that way. It's, it's a strategy of the enemy. And he's not just concerned about, hey, you don't talk to him anymore. You've got hard feelings towards her. What he's really after is closing the door on blessings that God would, ha would have flowing into your life. Don't let yourself get offended. If you are offended, stop being offended. If you need to forgive somebody, forgive them. If you're bitter, stop being bitter. Knock it off. You're hurting yourself, and you're hurting what God wants to put on display in your life, the blessing of God. It, it exalts him. It brings him glory when your life is fruitful, and you're like a well-watered garden. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a testimony to God and to his kingdom. And when you get offended, you hurt yourself, and you hurt, you hurt the kingdom. You hurt him. You failed to bring him glory the way that you should. But look at this woman, verse 27. And she said, he said, it's not right to give the bread to the dogs. She doesn't, she doesn't stomp away. She doesn't snap her fingers and get sassy with Jesus. Listen to what she says. And she said, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Yes. Yes. Jesus was impressed with this woman's faith. That last verse that we read, the end of this passage, great is your faith. Man, this, this, this is an impressive woman. Yes. Didn't get offended. She knew, even as a dog, what belonged to her. Okay, call me a dog, but if the crumbs fall from the dog, I might not have what belongs to the children, but if the crumbs fall, I know when food hits the floor at our house, it's fair game for the dogs. They're allowed to have it. She knew what belonged to her, even as a dog. She knew, okay, if I'm a dog, then crumbs are fair game for me. I, I get the crumbs. I get the scraps, right? So here, here you have someone as dog. She's not a child of God, and she knew what was rightfully hers. You, you've got so many children of God, so many people in the church today that aren't clear on what belongs to them as children of God. If she as a dog knew what belonged to her, you as a child of God, you as a son, you as a daughter of God. You've got to know what is rightfully yours, what belongs to you. Healing is the children's bread. She knew what belonged to her, and then she also had a confidence. She had an understanding in the power of God's provision. Even the crumbs. Even a crumb. Okay. Well, you know what? I don't need a loaf. I don't need you to do a whole batch of bread. I don't even need a slice of bread, just, just a crumb. Just a crumb from that bread is enough to turn my family's story around. Just a crumb from that bread is enough to drive out whatever spirit's attacking our health, make my daughter healthy and well, instead of our story being one of sadness and depression and how things took one bad turn after another. One little crumb, just a little piece from that, that, that provision. God's power is so potent. God, God is powerful, you know. He's power. It's not just theory. It's not just doctrine. God has a real power that can change you in real ways, that can touch you in real ways that you can testify and say, I used to be like this, but now I'm like this. My children used to be like this, but now they're like this because of the power, the power of God. She understood the potency of God's provision. A crumb is all, a crumb's more than enough. She knew how powerful God was. She had confidence in it. And too often as Christians, we have more, more reverence for words like cancer than we do for words like Jesus. That we overestimate the power of the devil and we underestimate the power of Jesus. God's power is real. Stop overestimating. We talk in hushed tones when you mention that. Did you hear the diagnosis? It was, yeah, it was the C word. 
Stop, stop talking about it. you got to show some kind of some kind of respect. A at the name of Jesus, every knee, every knee has to bow. Every other name comes under the name of Jesus. And you've been given that name. You're allowed to carry that name. You have the spirit of Jesus on the, on the inside of you. So as, as the church, we've got to stop overestimating every sickness. And they came out with this. And you hear there's a new virus and there's a new wave of corona. Who cares? We, we've got we, the children's bread. It belongs to us. Healing belongs amongst us, and it supersedes anything that the enemy has, anything that they're cooking up in the labs. We've got a bread that supersedes it, and if this woman knew that just a crumb is enough to drive sickness and disease, you got the whole thing. You get the whole loaf. You got, you've got an abundance of healing, and it belongs to you. It belongs to you. We, we don't, the woman with the issue of blood, if I can just touch the fringe. People that receive miracles had such a, a confidence in the power of God. And I'll, I, I don't need to see if I can wear his wardrobe for a month. I just need to touch the, if I could work out some kind of cloak exchange. No, I just need to touch the, the fringe of his garment. And I know what has plagued me for 12 years. 12 years, it'll be gone in an instant. And she was exactly right. Healing is the children's bread. It's base level provision. It's yours. It belongs to you. God has provided as a good father. He has provided it for, for his children. Let me read you from Isaiah chapter 53. This, this is a passage that is prophesying about Jesus. It's quoted multiple times in the New Testament and specifically applied to healing. Listen to what it says in Young's Literal. I'm going to read it in Young's Literal because a lot of the more modern translations don't translate it properly and rob the meaning. So this is, this is Young's literal translation of the Bible. Verse four, Isaiah 53. Surely our sicknesses he hath borne, and our pains he hath carried them, and we have esteemed him plagued, smitten of God, and afflicted. Surely our sicknesses he has borne, and our pains he carried them. Talking about Jesus. And the, uh, a few lines later it says, and by his stripes, when they beat his back by his stripes, we are healed. Those stripes provided healing for you and I. Just like Jesus carried your, your sins, he also carried sickness and, and disease. It's been provided, not something he might do if I could talk him into it, if I could catch him on a good day. It's already been done. It's already been, already been provided. Psalm 103 says, bless the Lord and forget not his benefits. There, there are benefits to belonging to the Lord. You know why it says don't forget them? Because people have a tendency to forget them and to think, not, to, to think little of them, to not think of them, to not walk in them. What, what are the benefits? He, he forgives all of our sins. He heals all of our diseases. He redeems my life from destruction. He crowns my life with loving kindness and tender mercies. He renews my youth like the eagles. He starts listing the benefits, the benefits of belonging to God. And second, only to forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins is a big deal, right? Second on that list, only to it, is the fact that God wants your body healthy and strong. So it's, it's important to people. It's important to God that he's made provision for you to be healthy and strong. It's already provided. It is a benefit. It's a benefit. It belongs to you. But just like benefits, if you have a benefit at work, you've, you've got to claim it. You've got to make use of it. If you have a job and one of the benefits is you get vacation time, it would be silly for you to go year after year after year after year and never take a day off. And then one day go to your employer and say, boss, I, I hate to even ask you this. and I know in advance the answer is probably no, but I was just wondering if maybe I could find, you know, favor in your eyes. Is there something I could do to appeal to you, to make you like me more? If I do a really good job, maybe just maybe one of these days, somewhere down the road, do you think it's possible I could maybe, maybe have a day off? I know probably not, but could I maybe, you just think about having a day off? What are you talking about? It's one of your benefits. It's already yours. You've got like 80 days of accrued vacation. Done. You, have, you haven't used, take it. Just put in for a day off and take, take a day off. Take two weeks off, right? It's, if it's one of your benefits, you don't have to try to earn it. it. It's already yours by nature of your position. Healing is yours. It's yours by nature of your position. You are a child of God. Forget not, forget not his benefits. So again, why don't, why don't people, if healing is so readily available, how come it does seem like a rare thing? 
just pops up here and there. Oh, I once heard about a person that got healed, you know, somewhere in Africa. It's just kind of like these rare tales, like, like fables or, or something. Why don't we see more of it? Just because something's been provided doesn't mean people enjoy it. You know, salvation. We, we could talk about lots of different blessings of God that are provided, but just because it's provided doesn't mean people walk in it. Right. Has salvation been provided for everybody? Yes. yes. Is everybody saved? No. One, you need to hear about it. Then you need to believe. But then you need to accept it. You need to accept it by faith. Just because something's provided doesn't, doesn't mean that you automatically have it. I don't know if anyone does the grocery shopping where you like shop online, fill your cart, and then you just schedule time to go, to go pick it up, if you've ever done that. Absolutely nobody, perfect. I think I've come from the future to present this idea. <laughs> just blew people's minds. So there's this thing you can order food online and somebody else bags it up, boxes it up, and you just go pick it up. Now, there are times where what you, what you purchased, you can get home and start unpacking the groceries and find that one of the things that you purchased didn't make it into the bag or didn't make it into the box. What, what in the world? Where's that peanut butter? I thought I ordered peanut butter. You check the receipt. Yeah, peanut butter. Peanut butter's on the receipt, but I've checked the bags, I checked the car again, there's no peanut butter. You realize that they charged you for it, it's been paid for, but you didn't get it. Ah, uh -huh. uh, there's no peanut butter. Now, now you've got a choice to make. How bad do you want that peanut butter? Because you'd be within your rights to go back to that store and say, uh-uh, I've got the receipt, that peanut butter belongs to me, I'm walking out of here with a jar of peanut butter and a better be Jif, because I don't want any freaking Peter Pan in my house. I apologize that's the most passionate thing I've said. <laughs> Amen. So you, you've got a decision to make, but more often than not, if it's something like peanut butter, you're going to say, yeah, you know what? I was just at the store. I just got home. And after all, it's just peanut butter. We'll just get it next time. Right? It's not worth the hassle. It, it, it's rightfully yours, but... I'm not gonna go through all the trouble of actually claiming it. Now, that's the, that's the way people think uh, of healing. That maybe if you were at the stage four cancer or something, and then you'd get serious about your healing. Then you'd really dig in. But if it's something lesser than that, listen, if it belongs to you, you've got the receipt, it has been paid for. But people, people are willing to live with, just like you're willing to, ah, I'll just live with having no peanut butter for the next few days. Well, it's just, it's, just my, it's just my hearing. Oh, it's just diabetes. A lot of people put up with it. Oh, it's just arthritis. Oh, it's just this condition. Oh, it's just that I'm lactose intolerant. Oh, it's just well, all these different things. And they, they, I'll just go ahead and put up with it. After all, it's not that big of a deal. It might not be a big deal to you, but it's a big enough deal that Jesus carried it already. It was a big enough deal that Jesus paid the price to provide it for you. And so it's a shame to have people that are so ungrateful, unthankful of what has been purchased that they aren't even, they aren't even motivated enough to claim what has been provided for them by Jesus. Amen. You don't have to accept anything. God doesn't want you to accept anything. There's no, uh, it's just, it's just headaches. Oh, it's just sore knees. But whatever it is, healing has been provided for you. It's the children's bread. So we've got to take the same kind of attitude that Jesus had. That's what the Bible says. The same mind, the same mind, the same mind. Let the same mind be in you. That's instruction. Let it be in there. Get it in there. As who? The same mind be in you as was in Christ Jesus. Let the same mind be in you. It was also in Christ Jesus. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 2. John chapter 2, we'll start reading in verse 13. It says, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the 
the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. Now, this is a, a unique passage of scripture. Because in this passage, Jesus doesn't seem to be acting very Christ-like, right? That if you've seen pictures of Jesus in someone's home, you walk into a church and they've got pictures of Jesus in the lobby, typically pictures of Jesus, he's, he's tilting his head, he's looking very kind and gentle, maybe he's holding a sheep on his shoulders, right? You know these kinds of pictures? Maybe he's patting a child on the head or, or holding them on his lap and you can just imagine the little story he's telling the kid you know, as he's spending time. And there's nothing wrong with those pictures. You've never seen a picture that someone drew out of this hanging on a church lobby of Jesus red-faced and angry with his hand raised and people are scurrying away in fear as he's charging through the marketplace, driving people out, right? Because that doesn't seem, if you keep, who is that red-faced lunatic in that picture? It's Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Like, whoa, I've never seen that side of him. It seems very uncharacteristic of Jesus, Right? I've shared this with you before, but years ago, our church did, did an Easter play. And when they were, you know, creating the cast and they were thinking of who, who is the most Christ-like individual? Who is the most Jesus-like person we could find to play the role of Jesus? Well, naturally, they asked me if I would, if I would, be, if I would be Jesus. I just happened to be 30 years old, and that was all. The qualifications were very low. So I, I didn't really want to do it. I didn't want to be in the play. But the pastor asked me, and I, you know, I'll be a good sport. I, I was willing to do it. So if I'm going to do it, I want to do a good job, right? And so I'm, I'm trying to think of, sounds bad that I'm trying to get, be like Jesus just for the play. <laughs> it should be like every day. So on this rare occasion, I'm trying to think, how would Jesus act? How would Jesus behave? But I'm, I'm trying to think, okay, I'm going to have to like speak. I need to be Jesus-y and I need to interact with people and how, uh, you know, would Jesus treat people and all these things. So I'm trying to get in, in character as much as, I, as much as I can. I remember that one of the practices said, okay, we're going to do this scene where we cleanse the, the, the temple, this passage that we just read. And they set up a few little tables and they're like, all right, go in there and, and cleanse the temple. And so I went in, I was like, okay everybody get out of here. And I'm like setting over furniture. You guys really need to, you need to beat it. Go. Right? It, it felt, it felt very un-Jesus like to, to try to, to try to act this, this out. Cause I'm trying to be Jesus. And then they want me to yell and kick over furniture and scream and be, be irate, be irate about things that just didn't feel to me very, very Christ-like, but clearly that, that this is something that happened, right? Now, I don't know what you're like when you get angry. People, people respond to anger differently. But think about the time where you've been the most angry. I mean, someone just pushed you too far. Right? It was the last straw, and you just, you know, you blew your top. You were furious. How did you, how did you behave? Because people, there's some people that they get, they get kind of violent, right? They'll throw things. They'll punch stuff. You know someone's ever punched a hole in a wall? Right? There's people that did that. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not naturally wired like that. I, I can get angry, but I'm not like a violent, start breaking stuff. Some, some people are. I'm just, I remember when I was in sixth grade, I, I had an aquarium um, for the first time, had some, some goldfish and stuff, and I had to clean out the aquarium because it starts getting algae and all of that. And so I remember trying to clean out the aquarium, and I was getting so frustrated. It was just more work than I, I wanted to to be involved with, and I was out in the yard on our picnic table, and I had one of my mom's strainers and all like the gravel in the bottom. I've got the hose, and I'm trying to figure out a way to, to clean the gravel, and I got so frustrated that I took that little colander of, of gravel, and I threw it across the yard. And I just thought, that was so stupid. That didn't, that didn't accomplish anything. So I, maybe I just learned my lesson there. That was like the one time I can remember like uh, responding in anger, just like, that was so pointless. Now I've got gravel all that. I just made, made things went from bad, bad to worse. It didn't solve anything. But people, people respond differently. 
Think about the time where you've been the most, the most irate that you've ever been. And even if you are someone that breaks things, throws things, kicks things, punches, punches stuff, you've never been at the level that's described to us in this passage of scripture. You've never cleared out Walmart because you're so angry. You've never had Kroger to yourself because you've just lost your mind so much. That, that, that's what happened. He cleared, cleared out the, the entire temple. This whole marketplace, it says that he drove them all out. And he's at a level of fury that they're not trying trying to restrain him. Like, hey, would somebody just grab him and call him, call him down? It's, it's beyond that. Everyone got out. Everyone's running away from him. They're just trying to run for their lives. It even says that he's turning over the money changers table. There's money laying around on the ground. Think, people love money. Instead of grabbing money, forget the money. I'm running for my life here. I'm just trying to get out of here uh, alive. That, I, that's the scenario that it tells us is going on, yeah. right? That, that, that's the scene. Can you imagine being so angry, kicking over, I mean, you're slinging gallons of milk and Kroger, kicking stuff over, flipping carts to the point where they're just, everyone out. You've just got the place to yourself. That level of anger that's going on. Why was Jesus so angry like that? This is out of the ordinary. What was it? that caused Jesus to act so differently than he normally acts. Well, we just read there, there was things in the temple that didn't belong in the temple. Those things shouldn't be in there, and he wanted them out of there. And not just a passive, I mean, Jesus didn't get upset and then come, out, come outside of the temple with his disciples and be like, guys, I'm furious, tapping his foot. I could just, oh, I could, I could punch something right now, guys. I'm get, I mean, it was, it was beyond that. Just, just straight mayhem. Because there was things in the temple should not be, should not be in the temple. Verse 17. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up, or zeal for your house, passion has consumed me. I mean, I've just been swallowed up by passion. He says, they, they remembered, oh, this applies to Jesus. Zeal for God's house. Zeal for the Father's house has eaten him up. He, man, he's consumed. You can see this guy is consumed with passion and zeal for the house of God. Now, notice it doesn't say passion for God has consumed him. Now, of course, Jesus was passionate about the Father, but he was so passionate that that passion wasn't just isolated to the Father. It spilled over and it affected the way that he felt about the place that his Father's presence was housed as well zeal for the house. He cared about the housing. He cared about where the presence rested. He cared not just about the presence, the housing of the presence. Zeal, zeal for your house has consumed me. Now, in the new covenant, God's presence isn't contained in a building. Where is it? In the new covenant, God's presence, it's in you. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's you. Do you think he's lost his passion no. for where God's presence is? No. no. And sometimes people will think, well, I mean, his spirit, his presence is in my spirit. So that really doesn't address, uh, you know, sickness and disease because uh, his spirit lives in my spirit. And that's really what it's talking about. Let, let me read a passage of scripture to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 18. It says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, therefore, therefore, because you were bought at a price, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So it, it goes ahead and he, he differentiates, he acknowledges both spirit and body in that passage of scripture. Therefore, glorify God. He's not just lumping it all in together. He, he's, he's careful in this passage to break it down. He understands there is a difference between body and spirit. Glorify God in both. But as he's even differentiating between the two, in this passage, it's specifically the body that is listed as the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you not know that your body, your body, your physical body, the same one that these people you know, were, were committing sexual adultery with, your physical body 
is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Passion for your house, passion for the temple consumes Jesus. That he's passionate, that when there's things in the temple that shouldn't be in the temple, he's serious about making sure that they get out of there. Even later on in the same passage, Jesus connects the two. Starting in verse 19, it says, Then or Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking to the temple. He was speaking of the temple of his body. So even in this passage, the two are linked together. That there's a connection between the temple and his body. He's t- oh, they thought he was talking about that temple. Like most people do. No, no, no. I'm talking about the body. Jesus, if there's things in the temple that shouldn't be in the temple, there's things in your body, a sickness, a disease, a diagnosis, a, a, a tumor, what, whatever it is that doesn't belong, arthritis, whatever it is, Jesus is passionate about driving it out of them. Now, notice the way that he drives the things in the temple out of the temple. Because when you're in that kind of rage, right, you're in that kind of fury, you, don't, you wouldn't think that it would matter too much what kind of thing you grab to drive people out, but apparently it was important to Jesus because he didn't just go outside and grab a stick off a tree. He didn't start piling up rocks and just you know fill his arm with rocks and start throwing them at people. He's flipping over tables. He could have broke off a leg of a table and started, started swinging that. Peter had a sword because he's known to like chop people's ears off on occasion. So we know at least, he, at least he had a sword. He could have said, Peter, let me have the sword. I'm going after these people. I got to drive them out of there. He could have done any of those things. When you're in that kind of fury, you, you don't think you're going to be real picky about how you're driving people out. But Jesus was picky to the point that he needed a whip. And when there wasn't a whip available, even in his fury, he's like, well, hold on, boys. I'm going to go. I, I got I to gotta go have arts and crafts time. I got to weave together a whip and then I'll take care of what, what's going on in the temple. Why, why did it have to be a whip? Why I'm going to cleanse this temple and it must, nope, not a chair like a lion tamer driving people out. Why did it have to be a whip? It goes back to Isaiah 53, that by his stripes, we are healed. That it was a whip that they used to stripe Jesus back, that our temple is cleansed by a whip. So when Jesus cleansed that temple, it specifically needed to be a whip because that's the same way that he cleansed your temple and my temple, the way that he deals with sickness and disease and gets things out of the temple that don't belong in the temple. Same way he does it today is the way that he did it in John chapter two. By a whip, by his stripes, you are healed. By his stripes, healing belongs to us, but it doesn't come when we're passive. It doesn't come when we just sit back and watch. You've got to have the same kind of attitude, just like I I, I quoted before. Philippians 2.5, let this same mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Jesus is passionate about your temple being whole. He cares. There's a passion he has to make sure your body is healthy and strong. Do you have that same passion? He cares about your healing. Do you? Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.